WHIV LP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. You can get more information goodmorningcomrade.com. Uh, today on the show, we have returning champion, the one, <laughs> the only, the uh, president of Local 668 of SEIU, Mr. Steve Catanese. What is going on, brother? Hey, good evening. How are you? Oh, I'm doing just fine. Uh, having a good old time. Well, reading so we're, we're so this is taking place uh, we're doing recording as of uh, monday night on um the 12th of april and we just saw the returns of the uh amazon workers union coming in and gotta tell you not great news folks not, not great good. uh and I, I guess i wanted to kick it to you like what are your thoughts on what went down up there i mean there was a lot of sort of misconduct uh, they took place on the um, part of Amazon, obviously, but but sort of like just sort of in general, talk about what your your thoughts on um, that sort of entire union drive and vote was. Um, well, I mean, like it was kind of like a generational union election, right? It, mm-hmm. It's it, it was such a particular moment. It is such a particular moment in America that I think the labor movements looked at in a better way right now. Right. So when you look at some of the recent polling data that's come out, I think they've, they've shown pro union favorability at least like a, what, like a 30, 40 year high. It's, um, like, it's, like, it's like 70 or 80%. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It, it was getting really high up there. And um, I think having a drive for an election at such a one one of the faces of what like modern employment looks like, right? Mm-hmm. Amazon, the way they do things, but like with the knowledge, a little bit of everything that goes on there. Um, it, I think there was more of a spotlight on this union election than pretty much any election that I can, you know, remember in my life, right? I can't remember anything like it ever. There was a couple union elections recently, attempts at union elections in places like. Um, believe like uh, the UAW was trying to organize Volkswagen employees and mm-hmm. um, you know, in the South before and now had a lot of news, but nothing quite hit like this. Right. Yeah. There was a Nissan plan in Mississippi a couple of years back too. That was a big deal. And it, it, it unfortunately failed, but they, I mean, again, Nissan sunk, you know, mm-hmm. untold sums of money into destroying this, this union drive, you know? Yeah. And um, I, I, it made it made all the attention on this. Like I, I think that's one of these things that like really we have to take into account is just like how big how how big of a spotlight was on something that usually there aren't there isn't blow by blow news about like union yeah. elections, really, right? Very like when we do union elections, it's something that you don't you don't announce until there's the right moment to announce it. And even if you do, it's usually not press releases and things like this. Mm-hmm. This was thousands of workers for the for the in the one of the biggest employers in the country, one of the richest men in the world, and low wage workers were trying to fight to to get a union. Um, mm-hmm. The result being is you know as we all know right, uh, Amazon 
defeated. They are WDSU with the preliminary count, like by almost a two to one margin. Um, it was a really bad result, obviously. Um, but I think like, uh, cause like, you know, we talk a little bit um, when we're not on here. Um, mm -hmm. I think like if you talk to a lot of people in the labor movement, like there were, there was a little bit of a suspicion this wasn't going to be a win. I don't think people thought it would be this bad of a loss, mm -hmm. but I, I, I don't, it's hard to, in the analysis, like we can point out some of the things the union maybe could have done better in, in certain circumstances, but I, I, it's hard to, to overstate just how like, have a mountain they had to climb to overcome the amount of resources Amazon was able to put into its campaign and just the types of things that unions to win elections um, really are up against. It, it's, it's like a really unlevel playing field. And so I think, yeah, it, this show, I think this put a spotlight on just how disparate the circumstances are for the two groups when you do one of these things. Yeah, no, totally. And like one of the things that really kind of like jumped out to me, when um, this happened is not just like, it, it, don't let me like undersell here, like just how many laws and uh, like how many like rules or whatever, like Amazon broke, like, like that's, they went like above and beyond and like broke every possible law to, to, uh, to bust this union. But also one of the things that came out to me is that how much of this stuff is actually legal that they were able to also get away with at the same time? No, it, uh, well, it's I mean, this is mind blowing. It, 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 even like the, the, I'm sorry, I, mean, I don't mean to cut you off. No, you're like, good. Even like in terms of like, and I mentioned this on the program like, like endlessly, mm -hmm. even when things are like officially illegal, the fact that you that that, that uh, Amazon can get away with doing it with having such a small like repercussion or whatever means that's effectively legal. It <laughs> just got a cost associated with it. Well, no, I, I but I mean I think that's yeah, I think you're right on point. Like part of part of the the piece of this is so disgusting is like again this is one of those things where uh, for the public people actually got to see a peak of what happens day to day in like in terms of the labor movement. Right. Mm -hmm. um, America's labor laws are so just generally inadequate that like Amazon in this election could repeatedly break the law, do, mm -hmm. do myriad things, thumb their noses at decisions that the government made the government through the national labor relations board, right. As it's enforcing agency, the way this labor law works is you have a board, national labor relations board, when a union files for an election, when they have a certain number of people that show interest in having an election, they file with the board. The board's like the referee, but it's also the government. It's government oversight. It's like mm. any government agency, right? Like think about the IRS. Think about all the, the CIA, the FBI, all these arms of the government that have all this say and all this power, right? So you go to this election and you have this like person that's meant to be like the, the arbiter, the, the person who says the rules. You do this. You don't do that. Mm -hmm. Amazon, just like most companies, repeatedly was able to were able to break the rules. The most the most obvious example was when they they, they made a they made a proposal for how the selection was supposed to be done, and the board basically said you shouldn't have a drop box on your property. You shouldn't have. They offered to put a drop box for these envelopes, 
And there were there were issues with employer um, intimidation with it. So the board said you can't use your Dropbox here. So and we're talking about like a U.S. Postal Service mailbox. They were able to compel the U.S. Postal Service, a federal agency, to put a mailbox right outside of the uh, right outside of the like premises of Amazon. Like that's what you're talking about here. <laughs> and like. When, when they did that, they were trying to get around the ruling a little bit because the ruling said, well, not none of your property should be the box. Well, they got a, U, a, a U.S. post box showed up and suddenly and it had Amazon tents and stuff and all over Amazon, <laughs> right? Um, and so now the board, there's going to be complaints. The union is going to be filing complaints about this. They already announced. Mm -hmm. But like, here's the worst that can happen to Amazon. If say the board says yes you you violated our ruling the government told you not to do this here's your penalty they will tell them redo the election maybe or they will say put up a letter put up a notice right that says we did the wrong thing we won't do it again i'm crying mm -hmm. here um they You're very they, very like, very sorry say, say like a worker like i'll give you a real a, a real example in, in pennsylvania and pittsburgh um, there's a massive hospital chain called UPMC in many states like Walmart's the top employer in Pennsylvania. UPMC is the biggest employer in the state. They've been fighting a union drive from SEIU in, um, in the Pittsburgh area. A gentleman was fired from his job and I believe it was 2013. The union filed a, a complaint to the labor board that said, Hey, you know what? We think they did this to this guy because um, he tried to organize with the union. The board said, you know what? That was correct. Give him his job back. Can't get damages because labor law doesn't let you get damages, but you can get back pay. The money you should have been paid while you were fired, you get that back. <laughs> They've been appealing it for six years at the courts. This guy's been out of work and found a new job a long time ago. The last I heard as of like a year ago, two years ago, he still wasn't back because because the, the hospital chain, the nonprofit hospital chain was still appealing, right? Yeah. So like if you're like someone like like them, you fire people because what's the worst is the cost you 50 grand? There's no doubt. When you're Amazon, and it's gonna scare everybody. Break the rules because what's the worst case scenario? You run the election again? You I, you you send a notice that says I'm sorry. There <laughs> I don't pay my taxes. My paychecks get garnished, right? You put a lien on my house. You take my belongings from me. CIA and the FBI are going to do far worse, right? Mm -hmm. Labor board will come in and say, tell them you're sorry. So tell for a company like yeah. Amazon, <laughs> right? They pay, pay the equivalent of like a parking ticket, right? You pay the equivalent of like a parking ticket to like, like that's the only way that I can think of these things, how they apply to these giant corporations. Like, right. They're basically like, like a parking ticket is not like a deterrent to get you to park in a certain area. It's just the cost of doing business in a certain place to go to a certain part. And it's uh, a part of town, right? You, you, you essentially, you know, pay your two bucks or your five bucks or your six bucks for two hours of parking. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're, you're essentially doing that so that you can do something else. That's how I view at least. And maybe you could disagree with me. Maybe you want to agree with me. I don't know. But like, like, like that's what it looks like to me when Amazon is like 
like hit with these like fines or whatever for you know union busting and the, the level of union busting that they did by the way is we can get into specifics exact but i, I kind of want to hear your specific, uh your kind of like take on my analogy here <laughs> no i mean i as a as a repeat parking ticket Tough business, right? <laughs> yeah I, I i no i don't i don't think you're completely wrong or anything like that um mm -hmm. so i it, it's just I don't know. The uh, have you talked much about the Pro Act on the show at all? Oh, we we love to talk about the Pro Act on this show. We love the Pro Act, don't we, folks? Yeah, I mean, this is like the Labor Board. Like when we're talking about these penalties, right? Like the Labor Board can't do much. If you're an employer, these right, these people are going to pay this money, and the purpose is to get around this stuff and to win these elections by any means necessary. But if you if you watch that Amazon election, want to see a version of like a vision of, of a place where however you want to enforce the penalties, there are at least actual penalties that may prevent someone from doing something or may actually get a real penalty out there that makes uh, a company like Amazon feel like it had to like pay its pound of flesh, if you will. Like that's, that's why they're anti the pro act at this point, because it would actually have a little bit of accountability on them. Yeah. And and so like essentially that would it's <laughs> just sort of like to, to sort of like bring my analogy a little bit further like that would almost be like raising the rates on the parking tickets, um, but essentially like if you can make that prohibitive enough so that the you know the um, you know companies don't want to do that anymore so that they don't want to do union busting because it's because it's like obviously there's a difference like in a moral equivalence between like parking on the streets in the city and <laughs> like busting a union, right? There's a pretty significant moral like inequivalence there. But I guess what I'm trying to sort of like, like, like point out here is that like, if you can get it to be reflected via the PRO Act, I suppose, um, in policy and in actual material means, that mm -hmm. would be like the only thing that I, I guess somebody like Amazon would be responsive to because they don't give a damn about whether or not like they're doing the right thing or they're doing the wrong thing they have no moral code at all they don't really have a moral code it's just about how they win here right and how they yeah. protect the bottom line actually it's interesting I, I i shouldn't say it's just about how they protect their bottom line somebody this wasn't an original take for me but i think it has a lot of merit for someone like jeff bezos i mean we know what this guy's network net worth is right how, how far into the billions it is mm -hmm. um and i I, I, he could afford it. If a union showed up at that Bessemer plant, Amazon could afford it. They could afford it. They could afford having to bargain with the union over what the employees should be paid there and what the nature of their work is and how it should be, right? They could afford it. Indeed, uh, they're choosing to spend like tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars to prevent that from happening, right? Yep. Yeah. It's, I mean, like what? They were the rate, at least one of the leaked rates that came out was they were paying some of these anti union consultants you bring in, I think $3,200 a day it was. And I they thought were, I saw like 10000 a day. I thought I could, maybe I'm crazy. No, that might yeah, be I would not be surprised if I was right on that. The, the one headhunter thing I saw was it was, it might have been similar because it was, there were three people coming in, they were getting 3200 bucks a day. And their job was to be doing the the closed meetings where they explain to the staff why you shouldn't vote union. 
So like, I mean, that's an hour. <laughs> well, I, by the way, <laughs> I, what I wish I made, what I wish most of the work <laughs> made, right? But like, you know, on, on the two ends, like one, um, that 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 amount of resources is something you know the the union's money comes from member dues. It's not it's not a profit making endeavor when you work at the union. You create a structure that's there to represent the membership, which costs money on its own. And then simultaneously, you create a structure to try to bring more people into the union, right? Mm-hmm. And it only comes from the dues that members are willing to put into the organization. So yeah. there's no, there's no like to the extent there you could look at like a, a stakeholder or a shareholder. It's your members. The members are buying into this thing, and it's their organization, right? Um, somewhere like Amazon, the profit motives and the profit incentives in the market are inherently different. Like I talk about this with our members at our local all the time. Like we're, we're a nonprofit, but we're very much a nonprofit. Like my goal at the end of the day, isn't to like turn a profit at the end of the year. I want to are legally like barred from turning a profit. (laughs) Like you literally can't turn a profit. We, we want to use our money in ways that like sustainably grow our union, right. To, To do good by the members who are with us. And then to be able to be a vehicle for other workers to come in and be part of the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the, that's it. Those are the band aids. Represent workers um, and represent uh, and represent people who are aligned and give them an opportunity to join. So like it's yeah. you can't keep up with that Bezos style money. But like for Bezos, like even like like I, I think that person was like kind of indicated the, the the take I saw on Twitter. It's like a control thing. Like you can afford it. But does he want to be democratically accountable to somebody else in Amazon? I, you know what I mean? Like, I, 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 it feels like for the amount of money that these people invest, which wouldn't be surprised to see it was seven or eight figures. I really wouldn't. Um, in terms of that campaign, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised. To, I, I, it just feels like it's more of a control thing. Could he yeah. afford it? Yes. But could he afford it in his his dark dark heart i don't think so. I, I don't think so well okay let me pause for station id and we can sort of like touch on that a little bit more yeah. it's a really interesting sort of line of questioning and, and line of sort of progression so you're listening to bhiv lp new orleans 102.3 this is good morning comrade uh we are talking with steve Catanese on um the subject of the amazon union uh, that just took place. Uh, RWDSU, unfortunately, was un, uh, unsuccessful in their drive, uh, and the workers, obviously, at Amazon as well, uh, were unsuccessful in their drive to get a union. They lost it about, about a two-to-one click. Um, and we were just talking about how the the amount of resources that Amazon is, and, and people like Jeff Bezos are willing to develop is sort of like out of... It's, 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 it's almost like out of sync, even, with the like material question of like, is this even like a good investment by like saying that they're, they're probably spending 10 times more money than they would, would actually save by, by, you know, giving away this, um, but, but, but essentially like to kill this union as opposed to allowing the union to have it. So it's an ideological question more than it is, uh, uh, um, at least a short term sort of like numbers question, right? Or am I wrong on that? 
Wait, one more. Th- give me. I'll ask you for part of the question. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's it's almost like in the short term, which is like how a lot of like we think about like how capitalism works and how like mm-hmm. bosses think. Like they think about the next quarter or whatever, and they're spending yeah. way more in this quarter to bust this union for the almost like long term goal of like not having to deal with the you know rising costs of having to pay workers more or having yeah, to. Yeah. To, to provide for their benefits or, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The, the loss of control that they would have if they were to allow any concessions at all, you know? Yeah. No, and, and I think um, it's funny because I was thinking of an answer. That's why I lost my training thought for a second. Okay. Um, no, it, it's interesting because, like, a lot of the places we represent, I mean, there are, there are, there are places where we don't have incredibly adversarial relationships. Like mm-hmm. you go to the table and you understand that you, you, you have specific interests that you're representing, right? Like my job is to represent the workers, right? We, the, we make these sustainable structures. So the workers represent themselves. We're a vehicle to help them do it. The employer is representing the employer, whatever the employer's interests are. But like, it's in both parties' interests, say, for the company to stay in business, right? You don't, you, you, I, we don't want layoffs. We don't want them to run out of money so the workers don't get laid off, right? So they can keep, we want them to be able to stay in business. Um, they do simultaneously as well, right? But it's that balance and how do you get to that point when it gets to like, when you get particular to these larger companies and, and, and things like that, like, when it gets towards like these really like grotesque like profit making endeavors, where there really is this incentive to cr- cut every corner possible, I-, I think that's where the rub comes in. There, there's, there, there are some like smaller like ethical companies you run into where uh, the the interests align, or like say for us because we're predominantly a public sector union, right? Like most of my workers come from like different. Ver- versions of social services. So like during the pandemic, um, for example, we represent a lot of unemployment compensation workers, right? Like the employer here is is the government or the unemployment office. Um, but for a lot of the time, we've had this mutual interest in, man, the unemployment system's a mess. How do we collaborate to make sure it's funded properly and people can get their checks, right? That's, right. that's the mutual interest here. And so like when you run into, you can, if you run, if we were to run into say an office where they were like, actually our job's going to be to like, not let poor people get their checks. You're going to run into this thing, but it doesn't inherently have to be this way. Um, in every interaction, they're always going to butt heads. It's just about the lines and how I think like you're heads. Yeah. <laughs> in this, in this modern form of like how capitalism works in America, it's, you, you you just get incentivized to make the 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 worst decisions. The, right. the one of the what well, I wish I could I I might have to go troll and find the headline on Twitter, but I know there was a story that just came out the other day of a CEO who got like a ten percent uh, take home increase during the pandemic, and he laid off a bunch of his workers. Mm-hmm. You're incentivized, right? If you lay off X number of people, but you run that profit, you're going to get that bonus because it's about that profit, not about that that person. So yeah, or anything else. It's about it, the only thing that matters is bottom line. The, the 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 service that you're you know supposedly purportedly providing 
doesn't matter. The people that are doing that work doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the, like, I almost have, like, this image of, like, Scrooge McDuck, like, jumping off of his diving board into his money bin, you know? <laughs> like, like, that's the only thing that does matter. No, it's, it, I wish it was that whimsical, at least. At least I yeah, like <laughs> Give my billionaire some whimsy. I'll feel a little bit better about life. That's but true. yeah, it's you, the union elections are tough. I mean, especially with Amazon, um, it, it's it, it's interesting because, like, even as an advocate for the labor movement, is it, again something that's my life. Yeah. Like, I, I I'm never going to say like we're the most perfect institution in the world. Like, we're an institution that's here because of a need. And there aren't many other structures outside of what we are that are able to address some of that need to provide for people at the workplace. But it's it just takes a tremendous amount of work and effort to be able to to provide unions to new workers in America. And I and again that election, it's a it's it's going to be pro, it's going to be studied for a long time. And mm -hmm. I think it's going to be studied in a way that like because there was so much focus on it, right? You're going to have a lot of resources and a lot of blow by blow and a behind the scenes that come out in a way that normally don't, don't like mm -hmm. so many elections die before they even get the count, the like cards in like, again, for anybody watching, like the process to go into a union election, like we're talking about with Amazon is enough people have to sign interest cards. And if enough people sign interest cards, then the union files for an election. When the union files for that election, then the labor board, whether it's your state labor board or your federal labor board, they'll, they'll go through this big process of setting it up. It's a multi-month process, but there is a lot of work the union usually does or has to do before you even file for that election in the first place, right? Like it's, there's a lot of very, very quiet work, but detail-oriented work and, and intensive emotional work that happens even before that point. And then once the election happens, that's mm -hmm. when the union, like that's when the employer is 100% going to know. And then all the stuff that people saw happening at, at the Amazon election came into play. One of the, one of the most interesting things that's, it's getting a little bit more attention um, is that, you know, when the union goes in and the union files for an election, they're, they, they, they're targeting their universe. Like, you, you're trying to get a list of all of the, all the people that are there. So, you know, who you're going to, to try to represent and you talk to people, you talk to the workers there, the workers talk to their coworkers. You try to get an idea of where everybody's at, right? When the RWDSU filed for this election, they had an idea of a universe of about 1500 workers mm -hmm. within that universe. They had enough cards. They had enough things moving. That's what they wanted to do. When they got to the board, Amazon said 5,800 workers is actually the size of, of, of this this work this workforce. Yeah, which so, is like five times or like four or five times the size of the original amount of people that had been um, organized around, essentially. Yeah, and to your point, they were organized around, right? So what, what this does, when RWDSU... Quadruple the universe. Yeah, so like all this meticulous slow work that happens behind the scenes, right? Like these first meetings, sometimes it's like a worker comes in, a worker comes to the union and says, Hey, me and like a dozen of my friends, we want to form a union. Here's all of our issues. Well, do you know people? 
because you're going to have to do all these conversations, right? So maybe it's a combo for a worker during break. Maybe it's the worker and some other people go and meet you at, a, at like a coffee shop where you grab lunch and you talk about the union. You find ways to go through this. Like you said, it's meticulous organizing work that happens over time. It's networking. It's walking them through the process. It's letting them know the risks. Anytime we organize a shop, we let people know the risks, right? That takes time. And to be confident you were at a place for 1,500 workers takes a long time. When that yeah. universe became 5,800, right? All of a sudden, that, that work quadrupled. And then they had to get it done in like a couple months time. In the middle of a pandemic. And then as the union, you don't have the same resources as Amazon. The union just can't walk in and ask, again, Jeff Bezos, can I walk inside and have that same meeting as you're, you're forcing those workers? We have a closed-door meeting where all hands have to be on board. And we, we basically talk about how good a union is. You can't yeah. do that. It doesn't happen. You can't. It, it's not in the rules. It's ridiculous to even think about it, right? I, I I mean, it shouldn't be, but like, yeah, you know, I agree with you. Yeah, I, agree with you. I, I agree with you. Like, if once you get to this point, it's like either both sides can do these forcible meetings or neither side can, right? But since the employer can bar access, borrow this other stuff, once that unit got to that size, it was going to take a Herculean effort, even if, like, because there's been like, I, Jay McAlevey wrote um, an autopsy on this where she pointed out. A lot of valid concerns, but even if the union hit every single one of these concerns, I think the first thing she pointed out that most professional organizers who do this stuff would tell you was like the red flag was the size of the unit, how much it went up. The fact that they were still had enough interest to get the election with that size of that unit, that was a that was a positive thing, like that they still had enough cards to, to do that filing. But once it multiplied, it was it was going to be a Herculean fight. And that's, and that's, that it, it's just a shame of it that they just didn't have the opportunity to appeal to as many workers, especially yeah. with Killer Mike on the scene. I mean, when you bring Killer Mike in from Atlanta, um, most employers at that point should just be like waving the white flag because <sighs> Killer Mike did a great job. I tell too you, much star power. Let's talk on the other side about some of the efforts that happened uh, on the other side of Station ID. So you're listening to WHIVLP in New Orleans 2.3. It's Good Morning Comrade, goodmorningcomrade.com. Um, yeah, and there was, like, just to kind of get into the, like, national attention that got behind this, like, like upon reflection, like – you know, you had people like Bernie Sanders who held a rally out there. You had Killer Mike, who's like, you know, he's he's, he's one of Bernie's guys. Um, but you also had like people like uh, this Big Mike fella uh, down with RWDC, one of the most amazing sort of like most powerful speakers ever. Like you had some of the um, some 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 of the most compelling sort of uh, organizing happening around this, um, and even like, look, I'm not a Joe Biden fan. All my homies hate Joe Biden, but like. Like Joe Biden came out and he gave a ninety-eight percent positive, like supportive, like union, like um, speech, like from as the president of the United States, which is like extremely significant, right? Like mm -hmm. to in, in support of this, um, and it's it's sort of like uh, I don't know, like the fact that 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 wasn't enough to kind of get it over the hump. I don't know. Like, like it, it, it does seem like there is some positive um, things to take away from this, at least in terms of like, like, like affirmative support and like not even to 
get into the question of like, like if there's going to be like a, you know, examination and a revote or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think we saw the important thing here. What was that? The amount of support is the important thing here, right? I think you saw a lot of bellwethers for for mm -hmm. levels of change. Um, I, I think just folks in in the labor movement um, just need to be particularly cognizant that it's is not going to last forever. There's it's going to be cycles, right? Mm -hmm. um, like some like just a, like vulnerable in these ways, right? Yeah, like national politics right now. You know, Democrats won, then Republicans. It's always cyclical. Labor is going to have its cyclical moments, but it's it's incredibly important for labor to seize on the moment right now because um, systemically things have been so oppositional to the labor mm -hmm. movement that like it, it's crazy. But like you know, when you really read like what Biden specifically said, like I was a little bit more um, skeptical of it than most, and I think I was probably a little wrong. But like it no, was. No, 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 no. So, so don't let me like, like, don't, 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 don't let's just be critical here, right? So, like, like a lot of the thing that he said is like, yeah, unions are good, and then workers have a choice. He didn't like full throat it. Like, he definitely like mush mouthed the thing. Yeah, like I'm not trying to say this was like a full throat in support of the union by Joe Biden. But it was a positive signaling or whatever. But it was like, like if you can like pick up on that signal, then you're here for it. If that's what. I, like I'm not trying to like say like Joe Biden did the best stuff in the world. It's probably like like maybe my 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 bar uh, or my level of expectation is just so low that I just think like wow that's pretty good. <laughs> but but well know. no, but I think no, I think you're right. Like I think like standards have been low for the labor movement. Like it it I, I kind of poo pooed it for the same reason you did when it came out that it was I did it like, literally on this show. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, it's like he was like, eh, it's, it's uh, you know, it's it's um, it's you know, union elections. It should be fair. There should be no coercion. Was roughly the message. But in retrospect, when you look back through history, it's mm -hmm. that was one of the most pro-union sentiments that ever came from a president. So it's yeah. like, right? Like you didn't. It only. It only. It's only like really good in that particular context. Yeah. So it's like I, I don't. It it was important. It was a bellwether, I, I, I in the sense that like it it indicated a different level of openness. And I think like if you read between the lines, it was kind of clear what 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 he was going for. Mm -hmm. um, but at this point, I mean, I think labor is going to have to just push incredibly and exceptionally hard to um to try to get the pro act passed or get some type of legislation passed because you, again, you only have so many moments. Um, if the Democrats can't Democrats can't figure out a way to get rid of the filibuster or some way to get around it, I, it's the movement gets smaller and smaller over time. I, I think if you look at the strategy of the anti-union groups, it's never going to be to completely blow up the union movement, but it's it's to effectively whittle it down and cripple it as much. Yeah, as death can. by a thousand cuts. Yeah, and just basically have us be hobbled and not really able to to do to do the work we need to. So uh, in the, in this short period of time where you, you somehow have, again, like you know, positive indicators from Democrats, independents and Republicans when polled, it's like labor needs to keep pushing on this thing. And, and 
if we don't, I, I think unless you start to see the the um, the conditions on the ground for how campaigns like the the Bessemer election happen, mm-hmm. you're you're going to continue to run into similar results like that. It's, yeah. it's it's difficult. It's difficult work. It's even more difficult during the pandemic. Yeah, totally. A friend, uh, Jacob Morrison from the Valley Labor Report, writes in. Uh, he says, in Alabama, coal mine CEOs got a, uh, got a raise while they first offered coal miners more pay cuts and negotiations after record-breaking production and profits. Just absolutely, absolutely, like, ridiculous and sort of, you know, disgusting uh, how that sort of plays out, right? Yeah, it's but it, it's typical, right? Your incentive is if you can get that profit to the level you want, it's it, 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 the system. The system. The system uh, encourages you to screw people over. I keep thinking. Uh, did you ever watch that movie Aliens? Oh yeah, classic. Where, and where at least at least the aliens don't screw each other over for a percentage, right? Like <laughs> even, even in that movie, it was. The person who is willing, right? The bad, the bad corporate guy. We can go back to James Cameron in the eighties. You go back farther than that; it's all, it's all the same thing. It's, it, it's just never, it's never changed. And I, I, I don't, yeah. like I said. Yeah. And you know, on that, I don't know if you have any context for that uh, specific coal mine uh, strike that was taking place out there, but that seems to be something that I mean. Coal mine workers have essentially identified that they're, you know, they're that this is happening, that they're being forced to sort of take concessions, and they're fighting back, which is always beautiful to see, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a ton on the ground uh, outside mm-hmm. of just the general conditions you see with the mine workers, um, and they've they they they've become an incredibly strong and militant union. So mm-hmm. um, I know they turned down their their first tentative offer. A tentative agreement, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, since the strike started. So it seemed like they're holding out for more at the moment, and it's 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 one of those unions that's had to develop a level of militancy just because of the how how basically life or death so many of the battles have been for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I think about um, and, and like I don't know if this is necessarily your wheelhouse, but this is sort of like yeah. Jacob says they voted down a TA. Uh, to continue the strike, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And I, I, I kind of like think, um, sort of about the future of those kinds of jobs, like especially. And, and we didn't talk about going in sector, but I think it's 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 at least interesting. Noodle on like those kind of jobs, how they sort of like fit in to this sort of like Green New Deal sort of situation, and like what the world is going to look like because I mean. Like, obviously, you don't want these, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who work, you know, in these mines to, like, lose their jobs. There needs to be somewhere for them folks to go if there's going to be a huge, like, change in the way that we do things, you know? I don't know. I, I, this is one of those things that kind of, like, is one of those, like, like five-head questions, if you know what I mean? Well, no, I I think... I think you're right, and I think it's 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 difficult in the labor movement too because there's the the nature of the work is so much different for so many different types of workers, right? Yeah. Um, we talk about those material conditions, like it's not econ- just economic, but it's like the nature of your work you do. I mean, you know, at SEIU, we've endorsed um, we've endorsed. I, I don't know if it's specifically the Green New Deal, but it's basically a lot of the pillars of it, which mm-hmm. is looking at what what the jobs of the future look like. 
um, and making sure there there's good union jobs that are part of that. And, it, and the phrase we use a lot is a just tra a just transition. Yeah. And like you know, the concept is, and this is something again. There's not orthodox agreement across the labor mm -hmm. movement and. We talked to a lot of the workers that, that were would be impacted in places like coal and elsewhere as these transitions happen. Um, you know, they, it's their 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 concerns are incredibly um, fair and reasonable and, and right. Um, but kind of like what the lens we've looked at a little bit is like these changes happen. Um, if climate change keeps going in the way it is, it is going to be predominantly communities of color that are disproportionately impacted. Mm -hmm. But then as the changes happen, what we've seen in the past is, you know, the, the folks of the, you know, the, 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 the new liberal corporate um, leader, like a Jeff Bezos or someone, again, is going to be the type of person that jumps off of profiting off these things. They're not going to be thinking about how do you provide a good long-term stable job, a union job, a job where a worker has a voice and has a path to a career mm -hmm. and all the benefits that, you know, mine working, the, the mine workers, working in the mines, like we Ain't look no harder like, work than that, right? Yeah. You look <laughs> at it as a good job. Someone said to me before, like, it wasn't inherently a good job. Like the union got in and fought for a bunch of benefits so that like when people left the job, you at least got something. It wasn't just Oh, we opened these mines and we treated all these these workers, these American immigrant workers, well. They were exploited. You had to fight for everything, right? Right. In this this exact same thing, there's going to be a transition at some point. It's happening yeah. now, and there's no guarantee that workers are going to have a say and a voice in it or be brought along. So yeah, it's you know nothing's ever going to be perfect, but it's I, I mean I don't know what you think, Jeff, but it's like it's go ahead. So my thought is essentially like, yeah, yeah, there is going to have to be at least some kind of like transition that happens. But like, like in, in order for like, like, like broader, like labor or whatever, specifically these mine worker um, unions to sign on to a Green New Deal, like the just transition of jobs is a prerequisite. It's not like a condition, like, like this has to happen for the Green New Deal to happen. If you mm -hmm. don't have that, then you don't have a Green New Deal, essentially. Like, right? Like, you cannot sell out these workers that have been like, like, busting their ass their entire lives and basically say, "Oh, yep, sorry, you don't have a job anymore because we have just evolved beyond you." That's just not mm -hmm. how it works, you know. Like, like, who, like, like, if somebody said that to you in your job or whatever, like, how would you take it? <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, I probably the same way. Right. Um, and like, I think for a, a lot of folks, like it's not just, it's not unreasonable or it, it, it's not like just anxiety. Um, I think part of that joke too was back when, you know, during the tech bubble and stuff, when workers were getting laid off, everyone said, we'll just learn computer programming. It's computer programmers. Yeah, learn how to code. yeah. Learn how to code. How many coders are independent contractors right now? Right. Or as you're starting to see, there were there there have been a there was an election win at um it wasn't it wasn't Google itself it wasn't direct Google employees it was contractors that were affiliated and assigned with Google right I think that even happened in Pittsburgh itself with the with the steel workers so it's like these jobs still need protections these jobs are still incredibly tenuous 
Um, and, you know, I, I've had workers in tech reach out to me about organizing and that's not our specialty, but like would walk through, walk through what you, what you have to look at, what it is. So sure. Learn to code, learn to tech, learn, learn technology. Excuse me. Learn to tech. I sound real brilliant. Learn how to tech. Learn how to tech. No, you said it the right way. Learn the internet. Do the, um, do the computers. But even, even if you learn all that stuff, it's not like you're always going to be in a position where you have complete control and, and stability at your workplace. You know, even yeah. these, whatever the next jobs are, it's still going to have the same fights, at least the way things are right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you are listening to WHIV LP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. Uh, we have uh, Steve Catanese on the show. He is the president of local uh, 668 of SEIU up in Pittsburgh. Um, and I guess sort of like, what's so funny? Nothing. It's just I'm a Pittsburgh. It's you're a Pittsburgh guy. So like, I, so I guess you know, in terms of like the labor scene in Pittsburgh, I mean, I'm sure I don't know how long you've been there for, but I mean, it's heard change probably over the past, you know, ten years, twenty years, just sort of like seeing how things, uh, you know, get affected, especially as you know, like. <sighs> You know, you hate to sort of like think of of um, like the way these things work as a like a, as a, a result of of like governmental policy, but they necessarily are right. When you when you have a inter international like sort of like quote unquote free trade that sort of like ships jobs from the U.S. away, I mean Pittsburgh is the place that feels it the most. You know, places like in the Midwest where all these sort of like quote unquote Rust Belt towns are at just get just just kick, get kicked right in the nuts, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, um, I, I mean, I'm from one of those, those Rust Belt towns in Western Pennsylvania. I, I mean, I think we were talking about it uh, just before mm -hmm. the show a little bit, but um, over a thousand steel workers in Western Pennsylvania just recently went on strike uh, about a week ago. Um, mm -hmm. That's their, that's their second strike in uh, about, I think four, four or five years now. Strikes are difficult for workers, costly, expensive. Um, you're not working. You're not making money, right? You might take some strike pay home, but I'll tell you right now, strike pay is never um, what uh, what your wages were. Um, mm -hmm. You're not eligible to take home. Like You can't apply to for food stamps or anything like that. You're, by law, striking workers are crossed out of that. My background was as a welfare case worker. That's a lot of the folks my union represents in Pennsylvania mm -hmm. and you just can't do that. We would read that stuff and say, I wish the rules were different. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but like it's that strike is very much in that Rust Belt environment. And it's, and it's a lot of workers in, in areas like mine where there's been, you know, ge general erosion of a lot of the industry and a lot of those good long-term jobs there. And you're asked to give, 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 and you can only, you can only give so much. It, it, when you get to the point where you're willing to strike, you know, Think of how many of us live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Um, could you live a week without a paycheck or two weeks? When you get workers that get to this point that they say, I'm willing to go without my regular paycheck for weeks at a time, it's you're at a breaking point. You know what I mean? And that's 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 what you see a lot of in that area. It's it's very much you drive around and you see the impact of a lot of this long term change and um it's just a credit to the to the steel workers out there that they they're able to have the strength to do that the, to be able to strike for a second time in 
and try to say no in such a yeah. So so you alluded to that just now. There is a sort of like steel steel workers um, strike that's that's sort of taking place in multiple states right now, not just uh, Pennsylvania, but also I think it was like like um, I want to say. You know, New York and Connecticut, Vermont. I want like I don't, I don't yeah. I don't know what things you like in the North. I think Ohio too. Oh, yeah, man. you're right. Up there by y'all, not down here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Rust Belt again, right? All that, all yeah. those Rust Belt states in the Northeast. But like, what's what's going on with that? Like, what's the, what's what's the deal? Like, you, you you alluded to the fact, but like, what's the what's what's going on with the 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 big strike that's going on up there? Yeah, I mean, from my understanding, um, I don't know. I don't know if there's a lot of details out at the moment, but it, it generally they're looking towards bargaining over things like healthcare. The unions out on strike over an unfair labor practice. Um, an unfair labor practice is something that is outlined in the law that either the union or the employer can't do. On certain unfair labor practices, um, you you have the right to to go on strike for it. And the union called a strike based off of this unfair labor practice that had to do with what they were bargaining over and specifically had to do with the company withholding information. One, one of the expectations of labor law is supposed to be that both sides have the exact same amount of information, right? Um, so the union and the employer can ask each other for pertinent documentation to make informed decisions. So the union saying it's basically not being given the correct Find, whether it be financials, whether it be other documents that it can use to make an informed decision about what the company is asking it to do at the table. And it's basically asking them to close their eyes, walk into the dark and make a decision that could impact their lives and their families. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, when, when that's where they're drawing kind of the line at, no, we want you to make this decision, but we're not going to give you um, all the details you need to be able to, to reflect on it. Again, it's one of those things that pushes you to the line. And the, and the fact of the number of workers calling a strike isn't easy. Workers are individual yeah. people. You know, people don't the worker can if the union calls a strike workers, they, they, the term is scab. You people cross the picket line. Sometimes people don't show up at the strike line. Sometimes um, the fact that they're able to pull these strikes off and have people there regularly, regularly picketing, um, most people voting in favor for these things, and even if they're not still abiding by it, it's it's a, it's an incredibly strong union right now. Not everywhere is that strong. And I think um, I think it's just because they realize that if they don't kind of stick together in this moment, um, it's it, it's when you live in that area, um, you see the you know it's there's gen- there's been industry decline. There's been population decline. There's again, my hometown is from one of the areas that's striking in Brackenridge. It's it's a it's really like maybe a mile, half mile away, and you have vacant lots of businesses, um, commercial areas that have been they're empty for just years and years, right? Um, a lot of people move out. It, it's hard to find jobs like this. This is a good career job if you get it, and it's the type of thing where the healthcare, the benefits, things like that, it, it's it's incredibly sustainable, and it's because of how hard this union has had to fight for years. So like. I think when you go there, you get this job, you kind of understand that if you're what you're getting there is because of these fights this union has had. And if you don't stick it out, you're it's not going to be there for long. A company like ATI, they're the latest bidder there. And it's 
if they could cut the union in a heartbeat, they would. So it's, right, exactly. The workers, the workers don't give them an inch because they know they'll take it a mile. Yeah, yeah, and, and I would just like direct folks to uh, um, our buddy, friend of the show, uh, Connor Lewis. He wrote an article over in these Times. Um, I can put it in the show notes. Uh, citing unfair labor practices, 1,300 steel workers striking five states. Um, we love Connor Lewis, don't we, folks? Um, but anyway, um, just sort of to wind this down, we talk, we we mentioned a couple of times in the show, and we've talked about this a lot on the program, about the PRO Act. Uh, and sort of like, in terms of, you know, changing the sort of particular dynamics of how you know, the sort of like labor orientation in the U.S. is right now. Um, what would the PRO Act do for, for that in terms of like, like making it easier to organize for workers in certain sectors? Obviously, public sector workers are not included, and that's fine. You know, that's, I'm cool with that. Um, but like, like what is the, what are the benefits to get that, and how can people support the PRO Act? So, I mean, the PRO Act's in the Senate right now. Um, I, I mean, from, what was that? It's passed the House. It's it passed the House of Representatives like months ago. Yeah, and it's it's in a place where most Democrats in the Senate have um, have sponsored it. I think most. I don't think you're going to get any Republicans to to peel over onto this one, but there's still a few holdout Democrats. Even with that case, it's probably one of those things that's going to be difficult to pass without the filibuster. But I mean, just functionally speaking, again, like what we were talking about in Amazon, the PRO Act would actually give unions the ability to, or excuse me, not unions, but uh, the, the labor board, the ability to actually put penalties on these companies who actually violate some of these laws, like real substantive um, punishments on folks, right? Like that's, again, punishment maybe is not the right word there, but just like something that makes it clear that you're not just going to get a slap on the wrist for the stuff that you do. Um, a lot of the work in there as well, it basically is making these right to work laws, which are, which were basically a, um, they're, they're, they're from, they, they were used during Jim Crow. They originally were used during Jim Crow in the South to break unions so that, you know, a lot of the black and brown workers at some of the jobs that wanted to join unions didn't have the ability and the resources to organize this right to work laws are these Jim Crow legacy that have like stayed around and have continued to make it difficult for labor to, to really get a foothold in the South. It would kind of get rid of those. It would make those illegal. It would give the opportunity for a lot of the, the, the more exploited workers in the country, ex independent contractors, everyone from like those, those coders and programmers we were talking to, to people who are in gig work, like, um, like driving for Uber or Lyft or freelance writers, which I used to do. Um, it would give them more ability to not be misclassified by the nature of their work, which is often very easy to happen. We last time I was on, we spent a lot of time talking about how wrestlers are probably misclassified at WWE, oh, yeah. right? That they they have these very exclusive contracts, but that's so the uh, the McMahons can get away with not paying all those typical payroll taxes, right? Mm -hmm. Proact would make a lot of these things more difficult. So it's not surprising to see that groups like the Chamber of Commerce, um, who represent businesses, have been very opposed to this because they know it would shift the balance and give workers a lot more power here. 
make it easier for workers to join unions, make it easier for elections to happen and make it harder for companies to break the law when its workers are trying to get a collective voice together. Right. So frankly, at this point, like my, it, it feels like the one way to get this thing across is to get Democrats to just finally cross the Rubicon and kill the filibuster. Mm. The filibuster has got to go. The filibuster goes, things like the pro act are able to pass. We're able to actually change a few things in this democracy before um, venture capitalism tears us from tears us apart. Yeah. Well, I hate to say this to you, my friend, but you invited the vampires into the house. Um, <laughs> you mentioned wrestling just a minute ago, and this was just WrestleMania weekend just passed us by. Yeah. I sort of like throwing, throwing, throwing down. Dude. The sort of like labor side of wrestling is, is fine too, but just sort of like like general thoughts on wrestling just on the way out. Cause I know you're you and me and our friend Diana are just like big old wrestling fans. Like where are you at? What's going on with all this stuff? Just wrestling in general? Yeah, wrestling in general. Let's talk about wrestling for five minutes. I watched a little bit last night, the last two nights. Um, I haven't been following super deeply as recently, but as a longtime fan, I was happy to see Cesaro get a nice WrestleMania oh, I win. I, just, just guy who's like an amazing performer and like a physical freak. And ridiculous. He's ridiculous. Just ama- amazing things he's able to do. And, and it was good to actually see him get a moment in the sun. Um, I don't know. I, I think whatever they've done with Bray Wyatt and the fiend gimmick is it's <laughs> they, they make him, they burnt him alive because he's invincible. He was burnt alive. They literally had what Randy Orton burned him alive. Then he disappeared and came back. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they had him on this match and he looked like he was in, invincible. And then Randy Orton hit his move and he pinned him one, two, three. All he had to do was get distracted. <laughs> now it was the distraction was the three count. I saw the guy get hit with like ten finishers from Seth Rollins and a sledgehammer in a toolbox, and you couldn't pin the guy. But he, what he sees, um, he sees a um, what's her name dressed up like Harley Quinn, and that was enough for the. Sorry for the spoilers. Oh, That's fine. I don't know. It's wrestling. I shouldn't get too mad about the booking. What did you think? What did you think? Uh, you know, so, um, yeah, I agree from the perspective that, um, like, like I watched both nights of, of WrestleMania, and, yeah, uh, the, the Saturday night was really kind of good from the perspective of, like, Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks had an absolute banger of a match. Uh, two absolutely amazing wrestlers just had it yeah. just kind of like tore the house down. That was really cool. Um, yeah. Beyond that, like, I don't know. It's just sort of like last night was just a bunch of like people just cheating to win <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Like, like people running in and like beating up other people and that's how, how it happens. But, but um, I don't know. It's, it, I, I kind of like get like, like fascinated by how wrestling worked especially in the COVID era mm-hmm. like it just doesn't make any sense like the act the idea just sort of like in a very very general sense that like you're doing this show that's and in wrestlemania i suppose was different because it was the first show back in front of a crowd in like a year right 
but the fact that they had been doing shows without a crowd for a year, it's just like such a weird, weird time to be in, in terms of watching that particular sport, if you know what I mean. Yeah, or if it's almost like there's like a, um, like like there has to be some kind of readjustment that has to take place. I don't know. No, it's in even in that weird Thunderdome, you know, <laughs> like it just it was just so dystopian looking. It looked like an episode of like Black Mirror. They called it a Thunderdome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they. I, it's. It's time for Vince to go. As soon as as soon as there's some type of change in leadership at some point, you hope that they're able to inject some new blood oh, into this and, stuff. And, and one of the greatest, like like again, like to, to circle back, like one of the greatest enemies of workers, like in the entertainment industry, like seriously, just somebody who just created the idea of, I mean, like we talked about this on, on your last appearance, the, the, the idea that, that wrestlers are 1099 independent contractors that are like, somehow that's the case, you know? Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. the same thing. It's former Trump appointee, Linda McMahon, right? Phasing back into her, her uh, post government life now, I guess. So it's no, no surprise. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for like hanging out and uh, for talking about um, a lot of this stuff. We appreciate it. We love Steve Cadney, don't we, folks, on the program? Mm. <laughs> I'll be on it. I don't know if y'all love me on it, but no. It's oh, we definitely. I say that assertively. I say that assertively, my <laughs> friend. But um, yeah, where can we get more? Uh, find out what you're up to. You're on Twitter at Old Noise. What else you up to? I always change my name, but yeah, I'm old noise on Twitter. Um, we have you had a phase where you were talking a lot about like uh, Byzantine history, weren't you? Yeah, and then I had a typo in my name, so I, I changed oh, my no. name. To, I know, and so I I went to something that was I was thinking I was thinking about a, a punk song, and did we oh. hear that song "New Noise" by by the Refused? Beautiful. I was thinking about that, then I realized we're all still listening to the same old song, so it's all the same old noise. Everything on Twitter is the same old noise. So that's, we're all listening to Bad Bunny. I'm giving into Twitter. I'm the same old noise. <laughs> all right, bro. Well, thank you so much.